Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. We're going to learn some important lessons about how to handle bad days, bad seasons of life. First of all, we're going to talk about the consequences of bad days, what they do to us. Secondly, we're going to look at the causes of bad days, what leads to these times of discouragement in our life. And finally, we're going to discover the cure for bad days in our life. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Everyone has bad days, but the way we react to them when they do come reveals a lot about our character. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress points to a bad day in Elijah's life and shows how we should respond to hardship in our own lives. It's the next message in our series called Choosing the Extraordinary Life. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. In a moment, we'll open our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 19, where we will find Elijah on the run. I think you'll be surprised by how this giant of the faith had personal struggles just like you and I do. But before we get started, I'm pleased to invite you and your family to join us on the 2023 Pathway to Victory Tour to Israel. The dates are just a couple of months away, April 25th through May 5th. If you have never been to Israel, I'd like to be the one who shows you the Mount of Olives, where Jesus will return one day, the Garden Tomb, where Jesus rose from the grave, and the Jordan River, where Jesus was baptized. We've planned an itinerary that will literally expand your view of the Scriptures, and I guarantee you will come home spiritually renewed. You can reserve your spot today on the Pathway to Victory Tour of Israel by going to ptv.org. Well, as I mentioned, even Elijah had bad days. And during today's study, we'll discover that when we allow ourselves to wallow in self-pity, we suffer the consequences. God has provided a much better alternative. And just after the message today, I'll explain how you can receive a hardbound copy of my best-selling book that goes into far greater detail on this topic. It's called Choosing the Extraordinary Life. And a copy is yours, along with the helpful life application guide, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. More about my book and other resources later on. But right now, let's begin with today's study. I've titled my message, Secret Number Six for an Extraordinary Life. Learn how to handle bad days. You know, as you search through the scriptures, one of the things you discover is that some of God's choicest servants have had to endure bouts with depression and discouragement. I mean, think about Moses and Jonah, great men of God, but there came a point in their life that they said, Lord, please take my life. They were that discouraged. Even the great apostle Paul, the pantheon of courage, remember at a point in his life, 2 Corinthians 1.8, he said he despaired even of his own life. When we look at the character we're studying, Elijah from the Old Testament, James makes the comment in the New Testament that Elijah was a man with a like nature as ours. He was just like we are. He had difficulties in his life. And I have a sneaking suspicion that what James had in mind when he wrote those words was the part of uh, Elijah's life that we're going to look at today that we find recorded in 1 Kings 19. 
It was Elijah's season of depression. It was Elijah's what I call bad day. And you know, one of the keys for having a successful and significant life is to learn how to handle these bad days, not if they come into your life, but when they come into your life. You know, 1 Kings 18 and 19 is really a study in contrast of Elijah. In chapter 18, we find him on the mountaintop of success on Mount Carmel. He's just experienced two dramatic answers to his prayers. But then in chapter 19, we find Elijah falling into the valley of despair. In 1 Kings 18, 46, it says, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. Chapter 19, but he was afraid and ran for his life. In chapter 18, Elijah is full of faith. And then we find him full of fear. Elijah bravely confronts 850 false prophets. And then Elijah cowardly flees from one woman's threats. Elijah prayed for God to glorify himself in chapter 18. But in chapter 19, he prayed for God to take his own life. Elijah became the leader of the people in chapter 18. And then almost instantaneously, Elijah abandoned the people. You know, one of the many evidences for the fact that the Bible it truly is God's word is the way it deals with its heroes. If you've ever studied Greek mythology, you know in Greek mythology, the heroes of mythology are presented as flawless. No weaknesses whatsoever. <laughs> That's how we know it's fictitious. But in the Bible, you see the heroes of the faith presented as they really are, warts and all. And that's true of Elijah. He was a person with the same kind of nature as we have and subject to the same discouragement and depression. By focusing on Elijah's dealing with discouragement and depression, we're going to learn some important lessons about how to handle bad days, bad seasons of life. Specifically, we're going to do three things this time and next time. First of all, we're going to talk about the consequences of bad days, what they do to us. Secondly, we're going to look at the causes of bad days, what leads to these times of discouragement in our life. And finally, we're going to discover the cure for bad days. First of all, let's talk about some of the consequences of bad days in our life. What can they lead to? First of all, Bad days can lead to discouragement. Discouragement. If we're not careful, discouragement dissolves quickly into depression. And if the depression lasts long enough, it will linger into a phase of life where we believe life has lost all of its meaning. Other times, people respond to bad days with restlessness. That is, when things are not going as they feel like they should, they're going through this time of discouragement, they lose themselves in meaningless activity. God says the answer to bad days is not activity. Sometimes it's stillness. Thirdly, sometimes bad days lead to foolishness. There's a correlation between restlessness and foolishness. Sometimes after we go through a bad season of life or we're in the midst of a bad season in life, we're tempted to make disastrous decisions. Elijah had a foolish response. He ran away from where he should have been. God hadn't told him to run. He was going out to the desert. 
out to a desolate area, even though he was called to be a prophet. What was he going to do? Was he going to preach God's word to the lizards and the snakes? Exactly what was he planning on doing? Look at verse four. He requested for himself that he might die. He said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I'm not better than my father's. He was throwing a major pity party for himself, all alone. Now, Elijah really didn't want to die. You know how I know that? Had he really wanted to die, he could have stayed right there in Jezreel and Jezebel would have been happy to help him out on that one. But he had gone into a period of discouragement and depression and he was about to make a foolish decision, hanging up his prophet's mantle. You see, if Elijah had been attentive, he would have known there are some warning signs that lead to bad seasons of life that signal a time of discouragement that we need to be aware of so that we don't stumble in the same way Elijah did. What are those warning signs that bad days may be coming into our life? Let me mention four of them very briefly. First of all, being physically and emotionally exhausted. That's always a sign that a bad season of life or a bad day may be around the corner. That was true for Elijah. I mean, think about it. He had been in perpetual motion and activity from the time he left the widow at Zarephath until he went to uh, King Ahab and uh, confronted him again. And then he had that great contest on the top of Mount Carmel with the gods. And then he prayed for the rain to come. He had been in motion. He had no allowance for rest and relaxation. No wonder he became depressed and discouraged. You know, a second cause of a bad season in life is focusing on challenging circumstances rather than a powerful God. Focusing on challenging circumstances rather than a powerful God. You know, in 1 Kings 19, we have the aftermath of the contest on Mount Carmel. And we have it from Ahab's viewpoint. You realize during that battle for the gods on Mount Carmel, Jezebel wasn't there. We don't know why. She stayed back at Jezreel at the palace. Perhaps she was so convinced of the outcome, she said, I don't even need to waste my time. We know Baal's gonna come through for us. So it was Ahab, it was the prophets of Baal and Asherah, it was Elijah and many of the Israelites. And of course, you know what happened. It was Jehovah who proved to be the true God and Elijah slew all of the 850 false prophets. Well, now Ahab had to go back to the palace to tell Jezebel what had happened. Have you ever imagined what that conversation must have been like? I mean, Jezebel wore the pants in the family to begin with. I imagine as Ahab came through the front door, she cried out, Ahab, Ahab, honey, good to have you back home. How did it go today? How did it go? The fire fell down, right? Consumed the offering? Well, not exactly. Well, Elijah, you killed him, right? You killed him. Got rid of him. Well, no, he's back on top of Mount Carmel praying. What about our prophets? Aren't they shouting out, Baal is God, Baal is God, celebrating the victory? What about our prophets? Um, Jesse, you better sit down for a minute. I have something to tell you. Now, we find it in verse 1 of chapter 19, lest you think I'm making that up. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. 
And soon her face turned red. Verse two, she sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the one of them, like one of them by tomorrow about this time. She was saying, Elijah, in 24 hours, you're a dead man. I'm coming after you. Now look at verse three. What happened when Elijah got that message? And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. What had changed? I mean, just a few hours earlier, he had seen a marvelous display of God's power in consuming that animal sacrifice. And now he was fearful because of one irate woman. What had changed? I'll tell you what changed. His focus. He had developed a case of spiritual nearsightedness. He had been on Mount Carmel focused on God's power. But he shifted his focus to his own challenging circumstances. And whenever we change our focus from God to our circumstances, the result is always going to be fear and discouragement and depression. And that's why in verse four, he said, just go ahead, Lord, and take my life. He changed his focus from his God to his circumstances. You know, we all do this, don't we? We'll ask somebody, well, how are you doing? How are you doing? Sometimes I'll ask people, well, how are you doing? And they'll say, oh, I'm doing pretty good, pastor, under the circumstances. And my first thought is, I don't ever say it, but I think it, under the circumstances, well, what are you doing there? That's no place for a Christian to be living under the circumstances. But you know, that's where a lot of Christians live. They spend their life hanging out under their circumstances. They are smothering under the weight of a prodigal child. They're smothering under the weight of physical illness or mounting financial debt. Now, I'm not suggesting we should deny our circumstances. That would be unrealistic. What I'm saying is those who want to live an extraordinary life and want to navigate through bad days don't focus on their circumstances. That's what Elijah needed to remember. Thirdly, a cause of bad days, holding on to unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations can always lead to a bad day. You know, success in life is thrilling, but it can also be addictive and lead to unrealistic expectations. The author of his first book becomes a bestseller. He's disappointed when his next book bombs completely. A pastor experiences great growth for the first five years in his new church, but those five years of growth are followed by 10 years of stagnation and decline. Maybe an investor who has earned double-digit returns for five years expects those returns the next year, but is confronted with a 50% loss. What's the common denominator in all those scenarios? It's people who have unrealistic expectations. Success doesn't always continue. Success is almost invariably followed by failure. That was true for Elijah. You know, Elijah experienced success, 1 Kings 18, 39, when the people cried out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Elijah believed 
that the revival in in Israel was going to be complete. Everybody was going to join in and it would last forever. That was unrealistic. The fact is, one of the things you find in the Old Testament is miraculous signs and displays of God's power like Mount Carmel demonstrated. Those rarely produce lasting spiritual results. The people of Israel saw signs left and right from God, but it never led to a great revival. Elijah was holding on to an unrealistic expectation that led to his despair. Fourth, believing you are indispensable can lead to a bad season of life. Now listen to me on this one. When we think we're responsible for the success of our marriage or the good choices our children are making or the growth in our business or the size of our investment portfolio or the good health we're in, when we think we're responsible for those things, First of all, it causes pride, but then it causes despondency because when those things change in our marriage, with our children, with our business, with our investments, with our health, then we fall into despondency because we think, well, if I was totally responsible for my success, I must be playing a part in this setback as well. That's exactly what happened with Elijah. He thought he was responsible for bringing the great spiritual revival in Israel. And when the people turned back to Baal, he fell into despondency. Look at 1 Kings 19.9. After he had run from Jezreel to Beersheba, he went another 200 miles and went into a cave near Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. Look at verse nine. Then he came there to a cave and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing in this cave? What did God mean by that? It's not that God had lost track of Elijah and said, oh, what are you doing over here? I didn't know where you had gone. No, he was asking this question for Elijah's benefit. Elijah, I called you to be a prophet. You're supposed to be out there proclaiming my word. What in the world are you doing hiding in this cave? I mean, God says that to us sometimes, doesn't he? When we get off the mark, he says, what are you doing where you are? That's what he said to Elijah. Well, Elijah had a great answer for God, or at least he thought he was. In fact, it was so great, he repeated it twice. In 1 Kings 19.10 and 1 Kings 19.14, he said, God, do you want to know what I'm doing here? It's really all your fault. Look at what he says. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, and this is how you repay me. For the sons of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, torn down thine altars, and killed thy prophets with the sword. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, Lord, look how zealous I've been for you. I was the one to bring this great revival. I gave it everything I have. And now look what the people are doing. They are forsaking your covenant. They're tearing down your altars and they're killing your prophets with the sword. All of that was true. The reason Elijah was so discouraged was he thought he was responsible for the initial revival and now he thought he was responsible for the apostasy of the people. He felt the burden of all of it. Then he adds that final word, and I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away. 
God said, Elijah, that's your problem. You think you're all alone. You're not. You're not the only holy one left in Israel. You're not indispensable. I have other servants as well. You know, every now and then, God has a way of reminding us that we're not indispensable, doesn't he? I think about the pastor who had preached what he thought was an especially great message. He was feeling so good. He knew he had nailed it. He was driving to lunch with his wife, and he said to his wife, honey, how many truly great preachers in America do you think there are? She said, one less than you think. We get those little reminders every now and then, don't we? That we're not indispensable. Well, God sent that same message to Elijah. He said, Elijah, you're not all alone. And let, in fact, let me show you how dispensable you are. Because later in 1 Kings 19, uh, he says, I want you to go anoint two men as kings. Hazael, I want you to anoint him king of what is now Syria. And then I want you to anoint Jehu as the king of Israel. You know why that's significant? Both of these men were far from godly men. But God was saying, I can even use imperfect people to accomplish my purpose. I don't need somebody as holy as you think you are. I can use anybody. And then he said, oh, by the way, verse 16, there's this fellow, you hadn't heard of him before. His name is Elisha. He's gonna succeed you. You're not gonna be around that much longer. And I want you to go and anoint him as well. Look, God was not being cruel in doing this to Elijah. He was being very compassionate. He said, Elijah, quit feeling all the pressure. You're not indispensable. This belongs to me. This is my responsibility to bring this spiritual revival to Israel. You know, Jesus said this to the Pharisees in Luke 19, verse 40. He said to the Pharisees, I tell you, if my disciples become silent, the stones will cry out. Maintaining that healthy perspective on what's our responsibility and what's God's responsibility can keep us from despondency when bad days come into our life. You know, we've talked about the consequences of bad days We've talked about the characteristics of bad days. Next time, we're gonna talk about the cure for bad days. How to handle these difficult seasons of life, not if they come into your life, but when they come into your life. Learning how to manage those seasons of life is indispensable to experiencing the extraordinary life. Well, I suspect that someone's listening right now who feels a lot like Elijah. Maybe you're on the run. Perhaps you're filling your time with needless activity, just hoping your troubles will somehow magically disappear. Let me assure you that God knows your situation. He's not forgotten you, and he wants nothing more than to walk alongside you and to provide a cure. So let me share with you a practical suggestion for taking your next steps. I've written a best-selling book on the topic called Choosing the Extraordinary Life, God's Seven Secrets for Success and Significance. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'd be pleased to send a hardbound copy of Choosing the Extraordinary Life directly to your home. It comes with a life application guide with questions for every chapter, so you can take lessons from my book and apply them to your life. 
But the special offer ends next week, so please don't delay in making your request. Remember that your gift today will be channeled directly into touching more lives. In fact, you'll be encouraged to hear this comment from Wes, who wrote, Pastor Jeffress, I woke up one morning five years ago to discover that I was about to endure an unwanted and painful divorce. On that very day, I stumbled across Pathway to Victory. What has happened in my life over the past five years has been nothing short of amazing. God has restored my life and delivered on His promises. Today, I'm sharing what I have learned with others. Well, if you're someone who gives to Pathway to Victory, you can see how your gifts have a multiplying impact. Please keep it up. By God's grace, our partnership is transforming lives all across America and around our world. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we'll say thanks by sending you a hardcover copy of Dr. Jeffress's best-selling book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life along with the Life Application Guide. To request your copy of these two resources, call 866-999-2965, or even easier, go online to ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you the entire teaching series for Choosing the Extraordinary Life on CD and DVD. This special package of resources will only be available for one more week, so be sure to get in touch right away. Again, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. You could write to us if you'd like. Here's the address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Inviting you to join us again next time when Dr. Jeffress shares what to do when bad days come. That's Thursday here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.